From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. She's a teacher, but might she make a bigger difference as a principal? In a school district that lacks diversity in its leadership, Paulina Lerma found herself at a crossroads. I see myself in my students. I see my struggles in them. She wants those students to believe they can achieve anything, despite racial stereotypes and low expectations. That, to me, is so valuable because we create this culture in the classroom. Then I remove this whole thing of kids don't want to come to school. They they want to come to school. They want to be a part of our community. Today, CPR's podcast, Systemic, shares one educator's journey to change the status quo. And later, how one student overcame failure by learning how to learn. I'm Lucy Womack, and I donated my camper van to CPR. We'd bought it when we were very young and very poor, but since then it had become a bit of a collector's item. And rather than go to the hard work of finding someone to buy it, we thought it would be better to donate it. I mean, when you're that attached to a vehicle, even though it's an inanimate object, you kind of just don't want to sell it to a random person. So donating to a resource that we depend greatly on helped a lot. It was easy to do at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. When it comes to representation in leadership, Denver Public Schools acknowledges it can do better. Its lack of diversity has led to policies that in turn have exacerbated disparities between white students and students of color. So the district has started a leadership program. But while it solves some problems, it may create new ones. Joe Erickson is the host of Systemic, CPR's podcast about people who fight institutional injustice. This time, Joe speaks with Paulina Lerma as she attempts to break the glass ceiling and become a Latina principal. Now I have this new degree. What am I going to do with it? Paulina Lerma is a teacher in Denver Public Schools. She's taught for seven years at Green Valley Elementary School, and now she wants to make a big career leap. Or at least she thinks she does. Do I stay in the school that I absolutely love? My heart and my soul, my tears, my everything, my sweat is there. Smeared all over the walls, just kidding. (laughs) But, like, do I stay there? Or do I explore the different avenues? Paulina has a dream that someday she'll be able to make changes in education that would inspire students to believe that they can achieve anything and that there should be no limits blocking their paths to success. But in order to do this, she must become a school principal. For Paulina, this is a huge leap, not just for her, but for the work she does in the community. Hi, my amor. How are you? Good. Hi, love. How was your day at school today? Good. What did you learn? You learned homework? That's awesome. As a bilingual elementary teacher, she doesn't just educate Spanish-speaking students, but she also helps and translates school issues and homework tasks to the parents. 
the community has come to rely on Paulina. But can she do more to help her community from a position of power? Currently, 20% of the district principals are from the Latino community, which doesn't sound too bad until you realize that Latino students make up over half the district's student population. Denver Public Schools has been slow to recognize the changes. Too many Latino students and parents feel that they're ignored by schools. With Latino students scoring low in reading and math, parents are worried. We have approximately 52% uh, Latino, Mexicano, Chicano community uh, of students across the district, and we've had underrepresentation on this board. This is the first. In this episode, we follow a Latino woman who feels like she has to do it all. Driven by her desires and overwhelming responsibility to elevate her community, she's on a mission to solve the problems of the lack of representation among Latinos in education. But she's torn between being a classroom teacher and an administrator. Where will she do the most good? When I first met Paulina, I was immediately struck by her smile. It was warm and engaging. It made me feel like we'd known each other for years. But that's Paulina's gift. She leaves you with feelings of happiness and optimism. So when I received her audio diaries, I was not surprised that the same optimism, even in difficult times, would shine through. Hello, Paulina here. Um, Last time I sent a voice recording was... Paulina Lerma has been teaching English and general studies to third graders at Green Valley Elementary School. Her class is diverse. All her students speak Spanish as their first language. Most of them are the first generations to be born in the U.S. and a few are immigrants. At the beginning of the academic year, Paulina gets her students to take control over their classroom and make it their space with their voice. Paulina has a system of alternating class presidents as a way of giving her students some control of their environment. Classroom presidents, we need to have a meeting so we can decide how we're going to celebrate our 10 classroom points. So maybe we can have that meeting tomorrow. All right, your responsibility to come with to me during your lunchtime. It's going to be a working lunch. Um, Miss Lerma's assistant, will you please grab my sunglasses? Thank you. Yes, will you help me? She strongly believes by empowering them to make decisions, it creates confidence, and gradually students develop a belief that they can learn new things quickly. Her belief is rooted in her own childhood experiences of going to school and struggling because she spoke little to no English. You see, Paulina was raised in Mexico. My father did own his own company 
and my mother also had her own business and they we were let's just say very comfortable living in Mexico you know we were very close um, we would do fun things on the weekends and we just really enjoyed each other's companies um, growing up with my two older siblings um, I learned very quick how to be competitive <laughs> but at the same time you know being taken care of was always just a beautiful thing. Paulina was happy there. They say it takes a village. Well, it's true in Paulina's case. Village life was simple. Everyone looked out for each other. Playing in streets was normal. Life was easy at home and at school. Paulina's competitive nature made her excel in her studies. I loved reading. I remember I was only like seven years old and I was eager to learn more and more. And that's just the way it was, you know. But nothing lasts forever. Paulina's parents divorced and everything changed. Her mother thought Paulina would have more opportunities in the U.S. She decided that I was going to be sent to my grandmother's um, whom, yes, I knew and I loved, but it wasn't the same, right? So going from, I would say, a place of privilege in Mexico, I loved school. Here I am, 10 years old, getting ready to go to sixth grade, actually. I get to Borger, Texas. It's this small little town in Texas in the Panhandle area, and um, there wasn't a lot of people of color, and it was very evident when I when I moved in with my grandmother that it wasn't going to be a fun place. This was a big change for Paulina. Not only does she have to cope with a new family in a different country, but the thing that hurt her the most was she started to hate the thing she loved the most, her school. I was supposed to go to sixth grade, and obviously because I did not know any English, I was held back and I accepted it. She remembers her first class in the U.S. and how teachers and students reacted to her. This memory has stayed with her. It has also made her the teacher she is now. When I was... Uh, beginning classes, I immediately felt the fear, the look in their eyes, the, what are we going to do with her? The, the, they're, they're, they were just baffled. They didn't know how to accept me in their classrooms. Um, they, I didn't know any English, right? So, hey, fair enough. I get it as a teacher now, right? But then it was like I came with so much. I wanted to show them everything I knew. And unfortunately, immediately, right, from the moment they hold me back, they're automatically assuming I don't know much. And I remember doing a math assessment, and I did it. And the teacher immediately accused me of cheating. In Mexico... Their school system uses a different way of teaching math. When Paulina presented the correct answer using a different way to solve the problem, her teacher reacted badly. 
she was convinced that Paulina had cheated. After all, how could it be that a Latina student with no English could be good at anything? She couldn't explain how did I get all the answers correctly in math. I mean, again, she just disregarded it. And from there on, again, it was experience after experience. My own experiences as a student really probably should have left me thinking. I don't think I ever thought that I was going to become a teacher. But, hey, here I am, even wanting to become a principal. (laughs) This experience drove Paulina to look at change in education so that no child would ever experience what she experienced. Paulina was determined that racial stereotypes and low expectations of Latino students should be removed from all classrooms. And she has a way of doing this. She does this by creating culturally responsive spaces with Latinx books and comics, but mostly by valuing her students. We're not seeing the true story behind each one of our students, you know? And if the student is feeling in a safe place, they feel loved, they feel cared for, then maybe, just maybe, they'll begin to learn. If you build that relationship with them, you get to know what are their interests. I've been able to see within my own classroom culture, giving them voice, that's like, Oh my gosh, you know, in my classroom, I pretty much allow the students to run the classroom on their own. And you may be questioning, like, what What do you mean? So as I build trust with them, we begin each day by each student having a classroom job, right? Whether it's taking attendance or taking the lunch count, it's giving them a sense of belonging, you know? And that to me is so valuable because, again, we create this culture in the classroom. Then I remove this whole thing of kids don't want to come to school. They, they want to come to school. They want to be a part of our community. Paulina Lerma is a teacher in Denver Public Schools. She's speaking with Joe Erickson for Systemic, the podcast from CPR, about people who fight injustice and dismantle the status quo. This second season is focused on equity in education. When we come back, what might hold Paulina Lerma back from becoming a principal? This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Abortion became a constitutional right with Roe v. Wade until it was overturned last year. That's also when Colorado protected abortion access and women from states where abortion is illegal have come here in droves for care. But for those who oppose it, the repeal of Roe is just the beginning. It isn't just about changing the law. It isn't just about overturning Roe v. Wade. We have to actually change people's hearts. Two stories about abortion in Colorado at CPR.org. 
Just 20% of principals in Denver Public Schools are Latino, but Latino students make up more than half the district's population. DPS is working on that disparity with a leadership program. Let's get back to CPR's Systemic. The podcast's creator and host, Joe Erickson, is speaking with Paulina Lerma, a DPS teacher who is weighing how to make the biggest difference. Paulina's participating in the principal training course so that she can realize her dream of one day becoming a school principal. But she's not sure she's ready to start next year. She's afraid that if she leaves to become a principal, that's one less classroom with a Spanish-speaking teacher who understands the needs of Latinx students. By mid-October, Paulina stays up late working on papers for her course. The program is at University of Denver, Morgridge College of Education. They teamed up with Denver Public Schools to provide a program to produce the next leaders in education. This program encourages teachers of colour who want to become the next principal or superintendent to apply. It's called the Ritchie Program for School Leaders. Paulina struggles to keep up with the pace of the course. I'm a mother, right? And I'm a teacher and I'm in the Ritchie Program and I have many, many, many things going on. And me having to orchestrate all of that and arranging for pickup for my children and You know, that was so hard to make sure that the project for the Ritchie program was completed. Paulina is doing this work to fulfill a dream. She also has to be focused on her own family. How important is this dream? Is it worth rearranging her whole life to attain it? And then, a family crisis hit. Her mother was facing cancer treatment. I remember how hectic that week was. Um, And unfortunately, I cannot say things have gotten any better. I was getting ready for my mother's surgery. My mom got diagnosed with colon cancer. She was supposed to have surgery. And obviously, you know, when, when you hear this, that a loved one has cancer, it's almost inevitable, right, to think that your loved one is in danger. And the only thing you want to do is make sure that they have surgery, that they get the, the, the cancer out, and you hope to hear the best news. But surgery was delayed. Rescheduling appointment for January 31st. So we're back to square one. Uh... It's been very hard. I have a lot of faith and I I, I like to be very aware and do a lot of self-care. Unfortunately, lately it's been extra, extra, extra difficult trying to finish the program, trying to finish some more projects that were due, uh, having to do postings every Wednesday and then having to just be present. 
For Perlina, the year is flying by. She can't believe it's February already. She's having doubts about her course. It's a lot of extra work. She has to organize her time between the Ritchie program, her class, and her students' parents. But it's hard to keep juggling all these things. There's a part of her that feels that she's turning her back on people who need her. If she completes the course and becomes a principal, what happens to them? How would they cope without her? This weighs heavily on her mind. After all, she loves teaching. She loves her community. Is this dream really worth it? I feel like I have that part now, and then I can actually be that community resource provider. Paulina knows how alienating the world can be when you don't speak English. Many of her students' parents only speak Spanish and struggle to access educational resources or even know how their child is doing in school. For these parents, Paulina is someone they trust and someone they can rely on. I take that so personally as I was raised with a monolingual parent who didn't understand there was really nobody you could go to. And right now, when I can make myself available to the parents, to the students, that they can see me in that position, uh, available to them at all times. It doesn't matter what grade you're in. Often I find myself hugging other students of other classrooms that I've never had in my classroom, and they just love coming up to me, and I love it as well. Because Paulina does so much to help her community at school, how would these parents fare if Paulina moves on? Who will step into this voluntary role of helping non-English speaking parents navigate the education system? But she'll have to make a decision soon about whether to apply for principal jobs next year. By March, Paulina can see the end of her program in sight. She is still weighing out her options. She loves teaching, but she has to work hard on her leadership course. She also recognises that her culture is her sense of strength that she doesn't want to hide. Can she be her authentic self as an administrator? I see myself in my students. I see my struggles in them. And I see the, the fact that they're not going through the same struggles as I am because they're learning in their native language. And I never was. My language was ripped from me. It, I, I, again, I was ashamed of my culture. And I cannot tell you how many times I was ashamed. I wanted to be a güerita with blue eyes. It's taken me a while to understand the fact that I am blessed to be brown, right? I am blessed because I know two languages. Now I know my purpose, right? And so my message is, how am I showing up as a brown leader? You know, am I showing up with my cumbia and my merengue and my salina 
blowing out my speakers or am I still hiding that? And that's the part that I, I don't want to be afraid of, of showing students, showing the kids that your heritage, that your brown is, it's a blessing, you know? I want that little Paulinita to know that, hey, you're here now and I'm blessed to be brown, that I have nothing to be ashamed of. Paulina spent the spring break with her mother and her kids. She had some thinking to do. We just got done with our spring break and it's been our first week back. Ah, it's been bittersweet, right? So like I can see my kids growing. I can see, you know, my students just blossoming. But at the same time, it's bitter because I know that I'm not going to be in the classroom next year. You know, I, I'm, I am currently in the Ritchie program and that's what I'm going to school for. And while I did dance around the idea of staying in the classroom one more year, it's just it's time, and I think the movement is now. Uh, the fact that everything's happening right now with like all the different districts talking about all these political issues and policies that are really hindering our students. And while they're probably not necessarily aware of what's going on, I know that this is going to affect them and their future. It's a real true commitment for my community and my students and their future to become a leader in a district where I can lead, I can inspire, and I can tell my story and that students can see the endless possibilities. It wasn't long after her decision to become an administrator, Paulina applied for an administrative position at her school. I'll always be a teacher at heart. I'll always be a student at heart. And so with that said, I feel a little anxious because I applied for the um, senior team lead position. And while I didn't get it, I am not disappointed. I have faith that if I really did attend this very rigorous and very amazing program of the Ritchie program, to prepare me to be a principal. That's where like all of my commitment and my sacrifices this year has been around that. Like at the end of the year, I want to end up with a job for the following year to make sure that I am able to create equitable access. By April, Paulina had almost completed her projects for the Ritchie program. Soon she'll be qualified to become a principal. Paulina wastes no time. She's already applied for 12 principal positions. While she's doing this, she's dreaming about what type of principal she would be. I'm envisioning working for a school where the vast majority of students are of free and reduced lunch and potentially still stay here in the far northeast. And that is my goal in addition to looking at bringing in different programs and different uh, resources, like I said, for the families to learn English, um, to continue 
perhaps even their GDs, food banks, clinics, and, you know, medical resources. And I think the most important thing right now is going to be like any mental health programs and partnering with perhaps universities. After several weeks, Paulina still hasn't had any replies to job applications. She's a little disappointed, but she's still positive something will turn up. But then, life throws you a curveball. This is the audio diary she sent me. Honestly, it's just been a rough, rough road. On April 28th, um, which is almost a week and a half ago, I got in a car accident. It was a hit and run. I had a car full of kids, uh, six kids to be exact. It was horrific to the extent that my daughter and her friend had to go to the hospital. I ended up spending two days in the hospital with so much pain. If it wasn't for my faith, honestly, I think I would have already lost it. With my mom's cancer this year and everything, it's been insane. Honestly, just a little bit more than I can, that I've been able to handle. And I will not be able to go back to work until May 18th because the concussion was so severe, it's been affecting my vision, it's affected my speech, and I, I have a really bad pain in my back and my neck. Needless to say, it's been a journey. This was the first time I heard Paulina sound down and depressed. In all the audio diaries, I heard Paulina overcome doubt and obstacles with grace. She always sees joy and happiness in everything life throws at her. But in May, broken in body and worried about her daughter and anxiously waiting to hear back from principal job applications, she struggled. I don't know how to stop. With school and trying to finish the Ritchie program and trying to be a mom and be a wife and, you know, be a professional. I I think I cried myself to sleep the other night. And despite the fact that I know a lot of people are, are there for me, you still can't help but to feel defeated. But I mean, I don't lose sight that I have a purpose, that everything that is happening is for a purpose, right? And so because I have my faith, you know, I just pray that everything turns out the way it needs to. And to understand the assignment, really, to take care of myself. Paulina struggled with her health for months. She had a neck brace and walked with a cane. On her first day back, her students cheered. She returned to school even though she wasn't fully fit, 
but it was a distraction from hunting for a new job. Then, there are events that remind you how fragile life is. The unthinkable has happened again. An American elementary school targeted by a gunman who entered Robb Elementary in the small farming town of Uvalde, Texas, and opened fire. The day after a shooter killed 19 children and two teachers at the elementary school in Uvalde, Paulina addressed her own elementary class. Miss Lerma might have a tear or two because I feel bad. It's something that really happened and needs to bring us together in solidarity. And our just our, our prayers are out for those family members who have lost their second grader, their third grader, and their fourth grader. So give me a second. So we're going we're gonna to invite the bell, and here we go. We're just going to bring our minds. Just come to me, okay? Come here today in your body, right? It's okay. It's okay. And here we go. One, two, three. I'm going to do this three times, so that was one. Here we go once again. I'm just going to hear a little bit of the bell. Here we go. One more time. We're going to hear from um, our students. Those people didn't deserve to be to be sent away because they're they're just normal kids they they're just playing around they they it was the barely new of their life they barely they barely started their new life and they didn't deserve yeah it's 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 hard right when when we have people that we love so close to us so i can't imagine right what the families of these little kids are feeling right now. It's a lot of pain. Yeah, and so I mean, hopefully that'll help them get through that, right? A little over a week later, Paulina's school year came to a close. The shooting in Uvalde, Texas, deeply affected her Latino community, and the tragedy eclipsed everything else from her mind. So it was a surprise when Paulino got nominated for Teacher of the Year. I got nominated as the 2023 Colorado Teacher of the Year. And oh my goodness, I cannot even begin to share how humble and how um, amazing this opportunity feels to me right now. Especially because, again, I, I don't know what I'm going to do next year. In the American culture, you guys called the silver lining, I guess. And to me, that is, you know, it's like, wow, look at everything I've gone through. And as I look at my journey, as I look at where, how I've gotten here, um, it's just once again um, reiterating to me that I'm on the right path and that I and passionate and that I love what I do and I love showing up the way I am now. Paulina had to wait a whole nail-biting summer, but in August, she was finally offered a job 
as an assistant principal at a high school in Denver Public Schools. She was delighted when she told me, and I was happy for her. By October 2022, she settled into a new role, and we also had news that she had advanced as a finalist for Colorado Teacher of the Year. But what was really on her mind was how to inspire others to reach for their dreams. This is her last audio diary. I'm actually the first Latina administrator in the school's almost 100 years old. So speaking living testament that through and despite all the challenges, all of the things that I've had to face, that I'm still here. Right. I'm still standing and I will continue to stand. Um, And again, for my students, my students of color, and hopefully I get to inspire people get to see that when you hold on to hope and that you have faith that, yes, we're still humans. Yes, we will continue to fail. Yes, we will continue to fall and all of that. But Just hold on to the dream, hold on to the light, hold on to the impossible. And one day you will make it possible. Paulina is still working on her dream to become a principal. During the summer, she gained a scholarship. She's pursuing a doctorate in education so that she can be even more qualified. But I wonder why Paulina needs to take that extra step when others from her course, mostly white educators, have already got a job as a principal. Why does Paulina have to jump through the hurdle of an assistant principal role and even a PhD before she can show her leadership skills. In making this podcast, I met some remarkable people. Against all odds, they overcame barriers. Negative stereotypes overwhelmed teachers. Administrators moved the goalposts. School board members posted racial and transphobic comments. Despite all that, Melissa, Naomi, Kevin and Paulina did not stop nor waver in their convictions. They kept moving forward. We spent the season with four individuals, a parent, an educator, a teacher and a would-be principal of colour. They fought to make changes in their district. Though each school district seemed to have a different vision of education, one district chose to roll back equity policies, the other worked to deliver equity. Both districts shared one thing. Both districts struggled to hear the voices of these individuals. We end the season with these individuals continuing the fight to be heard. 
Joe Erickson, creator, host, and producer of Systemic, CPR's podcast about institutional injustice. Follow this and all the episodes dealing with educational equity wherever you get your podcasts and at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. The newest podcast from Colorado Public Radio called Terra Firma brings you the sounds of nature with reflections from Colorado-born writer C. Marie Furman. The sounds in nature are like the voices of friends. I know when I hear the first robin every spring what that means. The sound of wind in trees, the bugle of elk. Those are the memories that become the soundtrack to our lives. Find Terra Firma wherever you get your podcasts. Supported by Credit Union of Colorado. The pressure's on. You stare blankly at an AP calculus test. Your grade is on the line. Your future's on the line. The clock ticks. Then time's up, pencils down, and you realize you don't got this. So now what? Well, something like this happened to Samuel Law, a senior at Legacy High School in Broomfield. He failed a huge test. And Sam talked about the experience last year during a TEDx Youth at Cherry Creek event. My colleague Nathan Heffel got the chance to ask him how he recovered from this failure. I hadn't struggled with anything like this in the past. And so all throughout elementary school and middle school, I'd be labeled as a gifted and talented or GT kid. And so I didn't have to try in school whatsoever. I didn't take notes. I didn't care when tests were because I would just do well on them anyways. And even through freshman year, it was the same. I, it didn't matter to me. And so when I first came into that stumbling block of calculus, when something was challenging for the first time, and I didn't know how to deal with it at all. And so I completely slumped and I, I basically gave up. Really? Yeah. Like all across the board, like everything in life, you just sat in a room and moped or what What? Did, what was it like? Mostly. So I got the grade back and it was an aver- It was like a 62 average. I remember this very clearly. And that's the lowest grade I'd ever gotten on anything. And so I was like, well, I can't go to a good engineering college and be an aerospace engineer with a 62% in calculus, which is the core mathematics of engineering. And I had never struggled with math before either. So this was my best subject and failing at such a degree. So I was like, I, I didn't know what to do. And I, I basically became complacent. So my grade dropped to a low C or whatever. And I was like, well, you know, I can always go to some other college. I don't have to go to my dream college. Which was MIT. It was MIT. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what changed? How did you turn this complacency and this feeling of, oh, well, everything's done now? to a stepping stone. What happened to kind of set you on a new path? It was mostly partially my ego (laughs) because I couldn't let myself, you know, sit there. But also my mom encouraged me a lot to, you know, hey, you know, you know, that's not the best you can do. My family has always pushed me to do the best. And so letting a grade slide down and be stay that way. It's great to actually realize that they had the faith in me that they knew I could push back up. And so having those people behind me sort of gave me the inspiration to say, okay, you know what? I'll pick myself up and I'll I'll try again. And talk a bit more about your mom. And, and you mentioned also in, in your TEDx talk about church and, and how that was a big influence in you as well. How was your mother and church a part of working to overcome this failure and kind of say, all right, let's dust ourselves off and get moving again? They actually had very different purposes. My mother was basically the catalyst of saying, hey, you know, you can't sit on your butt like that. And with my church, you know, it was actually used as sort of a kind of a crutch. There's a story in the Bible where uh, Moses is fighting a war and Israel's fighting a war. And Moses has to hold his arms up in order to win. And 
at some point, right, his arms get tired, so they start falling, and Israel starts losing the battle. And so his friends, or his brothers, hold his arms up so that Israel can win the battle. And so that's what it was like for me with the church coming to hold my arms up so that I could get through it. They weren't necessarily teaching me the calculus, but they were helping me behind the scenes. And during this time, you you really started thinking about developing a different mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, You call it the growth mindset. Tell me a little bit about that and the steps that you developed in this change that you had to come up with. Right. So there was the fixed mindset, which I had initially, which is basically the idea that all of your talent and all of your capability comes innate and comes from what you were born with. For me, I was naturally born at good at learning stuff and repetition and, and mem- memorizing. Right. Yeah. And so for me, that's what I thought. I was like, okay, that's the talent pool that I have. And in sophomore year, I thought I had completely exhausted it. There's nothing else I could do. Whereas the growth mindset is the mindset that you can keep going and you can keep improving as long as you try at it, as long as you work at it. And so you can learn your school. Though you may not be naturally the best at it, right? You can still learn it. And so what happened with me was humbling myself basically and saying, you know what? I'm not a math prodigy. I still need to work and I still need to study. So I had to build new study habits. I had to learn how to take notes. I had to learn how to study my notes. I had to learn how to study for tests, which I had never done before. (laughs) (laughs) And build up a new way of teaching myself from the ground up. So what are those new ways? You talk about these four steps um, that you recommend others who are maybe in a similar circumstance to to really think about. What are those? So the first step would be acceptance. And that's actually a really, really hard step because a lot of times, even for me back in sophomore year, you don't really like to admit that you did something wrong. Nobody does. Nobody does. right? Right. And so for me, I was blaming everything else except for me, right? I was blaming my teacher, which she had no problem at all. She was a great teacher. I was blaming COVID because, you know, COVID had locked me in my house and I was super distracted, which again, my fault. And so I eventually had to say, you know what? This was on me. I didn't do the things I needed to do in order to pass the class or do well in the class. What's next? Analysis. Usually when you're analyzing all your failures, it's not the best feeling in the world and nobody likes doing that. And so it's a lot of emotions come up. You start to get, you know, sad, angry, depressed about everything that you've done. And for me, I'm super self-critical. And so I was criticizing myself a lot. And this step is called emotional mastery because you have to overcome those emotions in order to actually do something about it. Now, emotional mastery is really difficult because everybody's different. Everybody has their own things. So what I learned during this is that there's the wheel that's called the sources of strength. Mm-hmm. And basically it lists all these things that you can kind of fall back on to help you in tough times. This includes family, like I would mention my parents, spirituality, like my church mentors, like teachers or you know people that you know better in your life. Even something like generosity and serving others. And then the final step. Perseverance. Because as humans, we're imperfect and we never stop messing up. As much as that that is a shame. But you'll keep messing up in your life and you'll always have to deal with failure. And so you just got to keep going. This all seems so... Clinical is not the right word. But the the process, it seems very mathematically oriented, right? Yes, that's how my brain works. I saw a lot of people like me who were, you know, the smart kids in school, basically. And yeah. all of a sudden, I see a lot of these people just stop because I see them that they have a lot of potential and they are, they're doing so many amazing things at such a young age. And then they hit a block and then they can't. And so they stop. And for me, that's really discouraging because they could have done a lot if they just kept going. And so the way I interpreted this and the way the way I gave the speech was it was for kids like me with that mathematical mindset of like, here are the steps that you need to take. Are there any thoughts you have on your topic since you gave it? You're a little bit older now. Any Mm -hmm. different advice you'd give? 
Um, the thing I actually learned the most is that it's a change of mindset, not only from fixed to growth, but also learning how to learn. Right. For me, it used to be about what is the bare minimum I can do to pass a test. To get the GPA, to get the grade, to yep, get the next exactly. Step. Yeah. Like, so how much do I need to study? How much effort do I need to put into classes? But efficiency. Was very efficiency. Efficient. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also, it wasn't very fun because I was so focused on, okay, like I was putting into my calculator, like, okay, what percent do I need to get into this test to maintain my A? And so I was like, well, that's not how you're supposed to go about school. School is a place of learning. School is a place of discovery. And so if I'm just focused on the percentage, then how can I discover anything? And so I learned how to learn as well. And I learned how to be curious again and how to say, okay, I've learned this. What can I do with it? Sam, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Samuel Law is a senior at Legacy High School in Broomfield. Find his TEDx Youth Talk, Learning from the Mother of Success, at CPR.org. His conversation with Nathan is part of a series of chats with Gen Zers. By the way, the next TEDx Youth at Cherry Creek event is set for March 4th in Brighton. Thank you for spending time with us. And thanks to this crew. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers, Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. And I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. KRCC.